and welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Steph Fairburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. This episode, I'm joined by Adam Davidson, Head of Coaching at Priority Football Academy, a private academy based in Bristol, England. Adam has coached in the US, Australia and the UK and has a Master's in Sports Performance Analysis. He's always had a fascination with session design, and that's what I caught up with him to talk about. We talked about co-designing sessions with your players, what the players get out of it when you do that, how you do it effectively, and other useful tips such as how you manage when your session isn't quite going to plan. Adam, welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. Thanks for having me. No, it's it's great to have you. Um, I want to ask you before we kind of really get into it if you could give a bit of an intro to you and who you are as a coach and a bit about your coaching journey. Yeah um, so I started coaching football uh, just after I finished my bachelor's degree at Queen's in Belfast so I flew out to do challenger sports in America for about two years um, give or take a few months and then after that came back home tried to do the sensible thing and get a proper job uh, and just didn't enjoy it too much. So my partner and I, Steph, we decided to fly out to Australia with no intention of really staying and living there and working, just traveling. And I ended up getting sponsorship offers from two soccer companies in uh, in Australia. And after weighing up the options, took took one of them and spent about five or six years there working as, first of all, a head coach and sort of running a soccer center there in Sydney and then promoted to head of coaching and eventually got to work with a lot of cool clubs and foundations and schools and that so I think before I left I was the technical director of Dunbar Rovers which was an MPL youth club out there so responsible for the 13th to 18th and then I did also some work with the Football New South Wales which is like a governing body for football and futsal there and I took under 13 girls to the National Futsal Championships with them two years in a row, which was a lot of fun. Got to the finals in the second year and unfortunately lost in the final. But it was a, yeah, it was a great journey. And then since then, I've come back to uh, the UK because of COVID, causing difficulties with sponsorship visas and um, residency and that. And since I've come back, I did my master's in performance analysis and now I'm the head of coaching at a local academy here in Bristol called Priority Football. So what have you learned, I guess, from the different places that you've coached in? Oh, I've, I've changed massively as a, as a coach. I was talking to a group of our coaches today and just saying, you know, how it's so important not to lose their individuality and, and trying to copy me or copy anybody else for that matter. They have their own skills that they're better than me in certain ways and, and to try to lean into those and just improve the other aspects of it. But I mean, when I first started, I was very much a player's mentality as a coach. You know, I'd like to think that I was focused on development, but I was more focused on being competitive and winning and stuff like that. Um, but I've sort of come full circle now. Like I very much am an advocate of like a constraints-led approach in terms of just manipulating the task a little bit, creating the environment for them to learn and, and trying to give the players a bit more responsibility rather than them looking at me for for answers and and for a little for for more than just guidance, just for um, advice on every single aspect of the game, it's it's more about create the environment for them to learn, present them with uh, problems, and try to make sure that they're not just repeating the same solution. Try to make sure that they're repeating the process of solving 
a problem and finding a solution. So that's probably my biggest change in how I coach. Well, you've led me in perfectly then to the to the next question, because um, we're going to talk a bit about co-designing practices with players, which is, I know, some, something that you've been trying. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess my first point is what what made you want to do that? Uh, to be honest, it was something that I didn't know there was a name for it, but it was something that I, we just did because I, I got on well with the players and we had that kind of relationship where, you know, we bounce ideas off each other and stuff. And if they liked it, you know, I'd say, you know, what, what do you want to change about it? We'll try it next time. And then I read a few papers, one of them by Sam Robertson and Carl Woods called Learning by Design. And it's what sports coaches can learn from video game designs. And, and they talked about co-design and how video games allow the person playing the game to sort of customize it a bit and give them control of the environment they're in. And there were loads of, loads of other principles on top of that. One of, one of them I found really interesting was the, the control of, of feedback and help. You know, when you play a video game, you get to choose whether you do the, the tutorial or not. And most of us don't do the tutorial, but some of us do. And now I've sort of changed how I um, guide and give feedback to players. I try to give them the option of, hey, if you need me, I'm, I'm here. I mean, I'll speak to them in certain moments and stuff when I think they need it. But for the most part, they're in control of how much or how little help they get from me. And that was, that was difficult at first. But um, as I've learned to be more patient, in their development journey it's massively rewarding when three or four months down the line you start to see intelligent performers and not just kids who are you know doing what coaches will shout at them or doing what coaches are telling them to do it's been so interesting having a little journey with them and getting better at it and having a having a framework to sort of work off I guess that's what I've sort of found over the last few months or so yeah so what does that framework look like like how have you practically gone about co-designing these sessions yeah um, like so session design is something that has always really interested me because I, I much prefer it when the game speaks to the players than when I speak to them so if I can design a task that encourages them to do a particular thing or guides them to try and to try something this way I'll do that rather than telling them to do it it's just changed how I see myself in, um, intervene in the session so for example to try to make it like practical for anyone listening who's a coach uh if you have for example players sitting back in the goal and they're disconnected from the rest of the game so sometimes you have a goalkeeper who stays rooted to his line or you or let's say we're playing a game and you can't there are no goalkeepers and you have someone who's just staying back there to block the goal puppy guard the goal um you could you could change the rules of the game to encourage them out of that zone by having thirds and saying all right okay the if your team scores the goal doesn't count if any of your players are in the back third so now, without telling them, hey, stop being on the line, get get out there, because it rarely works doing that. You've now created the rules of the game to encourage them to be more connected to the rest of the game. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does definitely. Have you been surprised, I guess, by some of the ideas that uh, your players have come up with, or some of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like there's some. Sometimes it's it's more. It's more appropriate for them to interject in certain sessions than than others. So, for example, like this week is is a uh, games week for us. So we have lots of different types of games. And I I say stole, but I I saw a session online uh, that Jake Sainsbury did at Bristol Rovers, um, and it was games week, and they had uh, different playing cards, and you're know, like ace of hearts, ace of spades, and they had different uh, superpowers attached to it. So when we picked the teams, I said your captain picks a card. In one of the cards was a VAR card so when they played 
if someone scored against them. I, on one occasion, they could reverse the decision no matter what. So that was like a fun little element to have. And then we got, got talking about, you know, what other superpowers could you have? And they were like, oh, can we handcuff someone? You know, if someone's like scoring too much, can we handcuff them? And I was like, oh, well, you could. But then I started thinking, oh, well, that's not very good for that player. So how could we make it like that, but slightly better? And I said, okay, what about a what about a hand, what about a handcuff hero card? So if you handcuff that player, he can't score, but if he assists someone, it counts as two. And they were like, yeah, cool. And then so we so the next week we created that card, and so then it just sort of builds over time, and you just it just takes a little bit of note note taking on your part, and then making sure that you sort of write those ideas down in a notebook, and then I I always tend to type them up and just have a little store online of the things I've done and try that are really versatile and work really well. And I think versatile is a key thing because if I can use it with multiple age groups, then, you know, I try to try to keep it and use it a lot. I was going to ask that actually, what are the age groups of the teams that you've been trying this out with? And, and do you reckon it kind of fits for any age group? Yeah. So I, I'll talk in, in terms that hopefully everyone will understand. So uh, I've done most of this, these sessions where I was um, co-designing the one that I posted on Twitter I did that with people as young as year four, I think it was. Year four up to, I mean, year 10, 12. And I mean, for anyone listening, that's like eight, nine, up to, you know, 14, 15 and beyond. Um, there comes, there's sort of a limitation when you go too young, but I would say anyone from year two upwards can can get involved with that kind of stuff. And you're going to get some crazy answers because, I mean, you're working with kids, but that's the joy of it, isn't it? <laughs> they say some silly things, but you take it on board. It might spark something inside your head to go, oh, actually, that's a cool idea. Um, I saw, there was another one I saw of Rob Porter, who does the Sunday share sessions. And he said that uh, he was doing, if, if a team scored, they could choose double or nothing. So they got to take a penalty. And if they missed, it was zero. And if they scored, it was two. And that was, that was another cool one that we tried as the challenge, as the challenge cards in our little games and that. And it was just fun for people to experiment and, and try different ways of scoring and that. You know what? Big shout out to Rob because I actually saw that and did that in my session last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It was so cool because the game just flipped so quickly if someone was brave enough to to take the pen. Yeah, that's right. Um. So, what have you seen from your players then, in in terms of their growth, both I guess ta- tactical and and also, you know, as humans. Um. I think for me, the most important thing I try to look for, and that's one thing I've tried to be better at, is just being more observant. And not trying to interject too much um, is that I've noticed that they become more self-organizing. Like they don't rely on me to do things so much. The way I try to think of it is I'm like the older kid who knows loads of games that are cool to play. And all I'm doing is trying to make the games and then letting them take the reins for it. You know what I mean? And I find that when you do that, yeah, it can be tough at first and it's a, it can be a bit slow and a bit messy, but that's, I mean, that's what learning looks like. And if they're not struggling, struggling capably, and more importantly, if they're not like, if it's not pleasantly frustrating for them, then you're not in the right spot. You're not in that sweet spot. So what, what can be frustrating in the first few weeks of like, oh, hang on, the coach isn't picking the teams. We're picking the teams. You know, oh, he's not, he's not choosing the width of the pitch. We're choosing it. And they can change it at certain points as well. Like that is jarring at first, but when you've done it for a couple of weeks with them, they start to re- realize, oh, we're, we can do this. And you're like, yeah, you, yeah, you can't. And you guys get a say of what the environment looks like. And does it, um, do you do it on match days as well? Um, so the private academy I work for, um, we, we don't do, we don't have matches. A lot of private, private academies don't, um, that's one thing they miss is matches, but we're trying to rectify that. I'm, I've sort of started full time with them 
and as part of my role, um, we're going to try and introduce leagues and competitions, but have no, um, what's the word, not entry requirements, but no trials or anything like that. So, you know, anyone can enter a team and just trying to tier it in a way that it's like, you know, beginners league, intermediates, you know, ones have been playing for a long time and make sure that no one's getting getting blown out or anything like that, you know. Um, but but I don't know if I've tried it on match days before. If I think back to maybe a couple of years ago, unless it's unless you're playing a, a, an opponent that is struggling and you want to try and make sure that you don't you don't go overboard, you might sort of introduce some of the challenges we had in training. You know, what, one of the things from having an analysis background is focusing on like the the red zone or the danger zone or whatever you want to call it, and focusing on how the types of finish finishes we do in there and where our assists come from, looking at cutbacks, things like that. So a bit more. Game realistic, I guess, is the right word. Um, but but certainly you can have little mini challenges in there. And you kind of referenced it at the start as well, I guess, about the journey you've gone on with it. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have to, uh, I don't know if it's ego, but put put something aside that is like desperate to step in or maybe there's other coaches watching and they don't kind of get it. What, what journey have you gone on with it? Yeah, um, I guess trying to think trying to remember what it was like to, for me to be their age and how much I hated being stopped in the middle of stuff and then I guess a, a lot of a lot of the papers I read when I was doing my master's it was focused on like how analysis can influence the design of sessions that we that we create and a lot of the reading I did around that kind of opened my eyes to how not useless is the wrong word how, how ineffective I guess it is to verbally tell someone something and expect them to retain it. And then beyond that, expect them to reproduce what you've just said in, in skill. So I just sort of thought, you know, why am, why am I doing that? Like that, that's not me. That's sort of like, that's coaching course talking, you know, you have to get your coaching points in, you got to say this or that. And I've just found that you don't like, you can just be more patient with them and you can challenge yourself more by manipulating the constraints of the environment to produce the, not produce the outcome, but to try and guide them towards a certain way of playing or a certain skill. And that is so much more challenging and also so much more rewarding when you get it right. Interesting, because you just said, yeah, it's not you. And you kind of said that at the start as well um, about encouraging coaches to have their own personality and not try and replicate what anyone else is doing. Um, I think that's tough particularly when we're all doing kind of the same coaching courses. And like you say, we're told these coaching points and, and all of that. What, what advice would you have to coaches around that? Around trying to be a bit more of an individual? Yeah, particularly, yeah. For, um, particularly for new coaches, I think, that are maybe a bit nervous and are looking to lean on something to get them through. What, what would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, like certainly use other people as scaffolding, like pick, pick the things that they do well and try to imitate that. But try to, I guess, understand your strengths and and really play into those. Like I have a coach I work with called Saul, um, who also plays for plays for Hunger for Time or did um, did recently anyway. And he he is so much more of a motivator coach than I am because he's still a young lad, still a player, and he's fantastic at it. And I can't do that motivation thing the way he can. But when we work together, we work with like academy players, so it's like you know 17, 18, A level sort of age. And he is so good at wearing that hat. And I can wear that hat, but not as well as he can. But then again, I'm more of like a, an organizer. I can be a bit more strict, reel them in when they need to. And I'm better at that than he would be because he's more of a, they see him more of like a, a role model in terms of a player than a coach, if that makes sense. 
So recognizing those skills and letting them play off each other, it was really key for us. We're working together with those players. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he, he will try to develop the skills that I, that I would have more than him and, and vice versa. You know, yeah, I was thinking if, if you, cause I've spoken to a, a few coaches about kind of development plans. Do you set yourself a development plan for the season? Yeah, sure. Like for like for personal development stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course, man. Like um, when I came back from Australia, I had a, you know, I got an FFA B license out there. And when I came home, uh, the English FA and all the FAs here only recognized that as a C, unfortunately. So I had to scramble during COVID to try and find any course that would take me. And thankfully, the Welsh FA took me on a UEFA B. And I've since completed it. And it was fun. It was brilliant. And I really enjoy the people that I work with and met on that course. And I would be completely lying if I said to you that I didn't learn anything on the course because it was a B license and I've done one. There's always something to learn. There's always something to take away. And to be honest, having done courses in Australia, in the UK and America as well, there's so much similarity across it, across what everybody does. They just call them different things. Like it's just semantics. You know, you might call it a skill intro, skill training, skill game. You might call it, you know, four parts of a session if you're working with older kids. And the names for those things are always different. But fundamentally, it isn't, you know. Um, it can all, it can almost complicate it too much for people. I was speaking to some young coaches today and saying, you know, you're advised to have three parts or four parts to a session, but I mean, you're not decomposing the skill. You're simplifying a, an aspect of the game, and sometimes that doesn't fit into three, four boxes. It might be a more fluid beginning of a game and progression of that game until it becomes more like the real thing. Um, I think that. If I had to give any advice to coaches in that, it can be difficult when you're planning sessions, but you have to understand that you are going to you're going to sacrifice some aspects of the real game when you design a session because you have to. If it's not 11 v 11, it's not fully realistic, but you can't do that. So you gotta you gotta find areas of it that you can break down and put together, and you might sacrifice some transitional aspects of a game, but you do that in the hope that you can amplify other areas and highlight it and call attention to it for the players and let them have repetition of problem solving in that moment. What about then as well? And I think this is quite a common question, but I'm always interested in, in the answer to how you respond when things aren't quite going right in a session or, you know, your session design doesn't, isn't quite mm-hmm. coming across. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to coaches for how they should be reacting in those moments? Don't panic, man. Don't panic ever. And like, it's going to happen. I talked to coaches today. We literally had a coach development meeting and we broke it down into four skills and it was designing, delivering, adapting, which we're talking about right now, and then reflecting on the session. And adapting is one of the things I find so hard. Um, and because we work in a private academy, you, you have varying levels of skill in one session. So being able to create a session that that is appropriate for someone who's very skilled and plays academy football, for example, and someone who is just beginning in the same age group is really tough. But what we try not to do is separate those players. It's try to keep them in the session because they can both benefit from it. Um, the, the ideal is not to panic and you can actually create your sessions to be versatile enough to adapt to more players, less players, less skilled players, older players. And that's sort of what I'm working with the coaches with um, or working with the coaches on right now is what games are versatile? What does that look like? Can you create something that's versatile without sacrificing 
um, the control that the players have of the game. You know, so you're not the one starting with the ball and firing it in. Can you make sure that they're the ones that instigate the action and decide when the next group go or whatever it is? Um, but it's definitely probably the hardest skill to master. But if you can do it in an environment that's tough like that with mul- multiple skill sets and multiple ages, I mean, if you go to academy football, you're going to be a step up on on most people dealing with that kind of thing. So final question then. You've already given so much awesome advice, but um, looping back, I guess, to the co-designing practices, mm-hmm. if there's any coaches listening that are looking to try that, what would your advice to them be? Um, so my, my advice is just because you're co-designing and getting their feedback, it's not permission to give them a lecture and start a, and start a five minute conversation about it. You know, it, it might, it might be a little comment here and there, you know, you don't need to stop the game. You can just pull someone to the side and have a chat, you know, have a quick little, Hey, that was class. What you did there. What if we, what if we tweaked it this way? And don't ask questions like, what do you think or we should add? Because they're not going to probably give you an answer. Try to try to give them some ideas. And then they'll have a think about it and they'll come back at you with something. Might might not be in the moment, but it might be, hey, lads, for next week, we're looking for some other ideas and what we could do with that session. Um, so we, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, having a four-goal a four goal game is quite a common one to play, like, say, 3v3, two goals at one end, two goals at the other, spread wide apart, for example. And what we normally do is have, like, say, a gate in the middle. So... You can, it's about like sort of encouraging them to either switch play and then also recognize the moment to drive through the middle if you can break lines by running. And what we find um, in a lot of games that we play is that our boys try to narrow their attack too quickly and, and rather than spread the pitch. And I talked to them about the position of the goals. I was like, oh, how could we, like, what do you think we could do with the goals to, um, you know, to encourage us to use those wide areas more and rather than attack in the middle? And what we did was we put them back to back in sort of in you know ever see ice hockey you know where the goal is in ice hockey we yeah. put the goals back back to back facing the sidelines sort of as far out as a hockey goal would be and we did the same thing at the other end and we said you know if you score for your first or second touch it's worth double yeah and then there was a line that run down the middle you know dissecting those two goals and we said okay if the ball if the ball crosses that midline at for the assist. So if you assist by crossing the midline and then you score, it's worth three. So you had so much more combinations in wide areas and still, obviously it's unrealistic where the goals are, but you're not, you're working on almost cutbacks and crossing across the box, you know, things like that subtly. And they absolutely love the game because we use like bazooka goals, like little tiny goals. And it surprised me that they loved it as much as they did because it just looked odd. But they had, they had a blast and then we we sort of like developed it from there and sort of turned them um, almost diagonal, sort of facing out a bit more so it became a bit more realistic and then eventually, you know, pushed them back and spread them a little bit. And the result was an intention for the players to now, when they got into a wide area, not just expect the cross, but to go and support the person in a wide area because they'd, they'd been combining there before. And that to me was like, Oh, amazing! We've sort of like co-designed a game there that gets gets out of it what I couldn't get out of it by designing it myself. You know what I mean? That was the voice of Adam Davidson. Thanks to Adam for his time and great advice, and thanks to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time, or visit soccercoachweekly.net for practice plans, advice, interviews, and much more. I'm Seth Fairburn. See you again soon.